I'm, I'm going to be done on time, but I'm just having too much fun. So have you ever been misunderstood? Okay. I believe that God is probably the most misunderstood entity on the planet. I believe that he is the most misunderstood entity on the planet. And I believe even sitting in this room, and sometimes I have misunderstood him. I don't know everything that's going through his head. I don't have the answers. And life happens and and stuff goes on. And I look up at him and I'm going, you know, if it's a good day, you're a good God. And if it's a bad day, what are you thinking? You're a bad God. You know, I mean, that's how sometimes people are. And if, if rotten things happen, then they're saying, why, where, where have you been? You know, what have you done? And, and so God can be very, very, very misunderstood. But the problem is we don't live with an unloving God. We live in a very cursed world. And we misinterpret the curse that's sitting on this world as the the relationship that we have with Father. And so part of the reason why I'm doing this Genesis series is because, you know, the law of first mention. God lays down new and fresh things. And the first time you hear about it, that is truth right there that we can base things on. So what is God like? Now, we are going to be working here out of uh, chapter 5 the end of four and five of Genesis. So open up your Bibles. And I just want to remind you over the last, I'm not going to do a big review here. You know, that's what I love to do, but it always ruins my time. But I want you to hear something. I want to just do a quick run through of the things that God says through the first couple chapters of Genesis. And I want you to start getting his heartbeat. I want you to start understanding this God that we serve. I don't want you misunderstanding him. All right. So let me start off. Um, obviously in the first chapter, he says a lot of things. So I'm going to skip. There's a lot of creation standpoint and, and that kind of thing. So I'm going to kind of skip through those or else I'll have to read the whole chapter and I don't want to do that. But you know, in uh, chapter one, verse 10, God says, it's good. Chapter one, verse 12, he says, it's good. Chapter one, verse 18, he says, it's good. Chapter 1, verse 21 says it's good and he blessed all of them. Verse 25, he says it's good. You kind of got a theme going on, right? So he's looking at his creation. He looks at this whole thing and he declares it's good. You're good. You're very good. You are blessed. That's, those are the words he says. Moving on. Chapter 1, verse 28, you're blessed. He says he blessed them. Chapter 1, verse 31, it's very good. Moving on, he he rests on that day and he blesses the day of rest and said, it's very good. Your day of rest is very good. It's blessed. Then he says, it's not good to be alone. Amen. He says, they just got married. Then he says, I give you everything. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you guys remember what that is? They had knowledge of good, but trespassing brought in the knowledge of evil. Oh, he doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't rejoice when we take evil into our lives. He grieves it. It's not that he's mean and doesn't want us to have any good. He grieves the knowledge that will come into your life when you disobey 
He grieves when the knowledge of jealousy comes into your heart. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want you. So he says, no, don't do that. Just have the knowledge of good in your life. Amen? Okay, then the fall happens. Now we think, okay, now God's really going to show his true colors and start whacking people, right? So the fall happens. They eat the fruit. What's the first thing God says? Where are you? He doesn't say, get out of here. I don't want to see you again. He says, where are you? He's always searching, always waiting, always longing for you. This is what God is. This is the true God. Where are you? Then he says, who who told you you were naked? What? Then unfortunately he had to utter some words. Because not only is God loving and caring and kind, he is so just. And I relish the fact that God is just because I know I will be treated justly. I love that. That is so amazing. And so he utters the curse and uh, then Cain and Abel happen and, 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 you know, Cain brings his offering and we learned last week that he, he brought a thank offering, but he didn't bring a sin offering. And we learned that, that Abel brought both the thank offering and the sin offering. And God looked on his with favor, but he did not on Cain's because Cain did not sacrifice or see himself as needing to be forgiven of anything. He was walking in pride from the very moment. And God looked upon that and, and he, he, he couldn't bless that. He could bless uh, Abel's, right? So he blesses Abel's and, and, and Cain becomes so distraught. And what's God say? Does God say, well, what are you thinking? Da, 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 da. No. He says, why is your face downcast? What's wrong? And then he says, don't you remember? If you do what's right, you will be accepted. But if you do what's wrong, Sin crouches at your door, ready to pounce, but you can master it. This is our God. He's not cursing Cain, yet he's, he's giving him every opportunity. Come on, buddy. He's saying, come on, come on. Why are you, da- come on, if you'll just do what's right. And Cain refuses, so he takes his brother out, slays his brother. Remember, he says brother five times in five verses. Where is your brother, Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? And what is the answer? Absolutely. Absolutely you are. So God, I want you to see his words, his words. Where is your, why are you downcast? Please, oh please, he's always cheering for you. Yet the place of decision, the place of being able to make choices always lays with you, not with God. Never with him. It's always with you. So cool. You have all the power. If you do right, if you do right. You will be blessed. But if you choose to do wrong, sin is crouching and waiting. You can master it. 
I hear love, I hear delight, I hear justice, and I hear God reaching out to man. That's the kind of God that I hear in these first chapters. That's the kind of God. And don't be misled. Don't be fooled. Don't ever think anything different. And if circumstances begin to shout differently of what the character is of God, that's the enemy using circumstances to twist and misunderstand. Now, when I slapped that boy, believe me, I lost all opportunity of any relationship with that young man. Because he misunderstood me. And if you choose to misunderstand God, you will be stepping out of relationship with him too. You will be distancing yourself. You can't interact quite as closely if you're misunderstanding him. Amen? Okay. So that takes us up to where we're at right now. And we have the genealogies staring us in the face. Are you ready for the genealogies? Okay, now I need you to get out your, your note pay paper that you got. Did everybody get their little notes, their Genesis note cards? Um, Joel, can you go grab some more of those? Or Barb, I don't know if they're in the... Um, I know that they're right at the front door. I don't know if Mandy's taken them. Nobody took them. Man, go get them. Hurry quick. Okay, so he's going to go get them. Okay, so we're going to do this thing, and I'm going to breathe life into genealogies, and you're going to love them, right? Okay, so... We have now covered Genesis up until almost the flood. Okay, we're up to almost the the flood. Now, this time frame from, oh, here they come. Raise your hand if you want a piece of paper because you got got to take notes. This is Teacher teacher Joel up here now because we're going to get serious, down and serious about the genealogies. You're going to walk away here knowing stuff you didn't know before. Amen? I want you guys to be so smart, so smart. Oopsie, I wanted to put my foot on down there. Okay, if you want to follow along in your Bible, open to chapter 4. And I'm going to make chapter 4 and chapter 5 just hopefully come alive for you, okay? Come alive. I have 32 minutes to come alive. Are you ready? And I'm not going to keep you late tonight. Okay, so from, from the time of God's creation to the fall... We call that the creation segment. And we do not know how long that lasted. Seriously. We don't know how long perfection reigned in this world. It could have been a day. It could have been a week, a year. We don't know. could have been a very long time. We just don't know how long it went until Adam and Eve sinned. Okay? But from the time they sinned and they were cast out of the garden then, we have what is called the antediluvian, antediluvian, everybody say antediluvian, age. Okay? And it runs from the fall when they got cast out of the garden now to the flood. Diluvian means deluge. So this is the pre-deluge era. Okay? All right. Um... Uh, honey, can you run in? Cause I think I left them on your table. There's a stack of papers. I'd like to pass those out to in on your table. Cause they're really fun to look at and that'll really help these people. So we've got two sections of time that we're talking about here. Okay. So let's remind us of a few things. The lifespan during this antediluvian, I don't know how to say that word, antediluvian, uh, time frame. The, the lifespans are just over under a thousand years. Nobody ever lives a thousand years or more. 
And that seems like it's absolutely crazy, but remember a couple of, yeah, I just passed them down the rows. And uh, remember a couple of weeks ago, I taught on what this time was like. There's a firmament. The UV rays are not coming through. There's um, a higher percentage, percentage of oxygen in the, in the atmosphere. They have found um, bubbles of air that have been encased inside of frozen um, uh, something hard and they have uh, tested that and there's a higher percentage of oxygen that is found in these fossils so back in those days there was a higher percentage of oxygen there was no uv rays coming through there was not a rain and a direct sun there was also perfect dna in man perfect dna a lot of the fossils that they find that they feel are antediluvial before the flood are huge like dragonflies with a 50 inch inch i say 50 inch wingspan but they can do that because the pressure of the of the world is higher during that time when they when they pierced those air bubbles they found a very high pressure in there and it wasn't because it was compacted it was because that's what pressure the the air pressure the atmosphere was like okay so we have this amazing amazing earth very different than what we live in right now and so therefore people lived uh, just under a thousand years. It's also because God mandated it. God needed man to live longer and have more children because he was trying to populate the earth. All right. And he had to, we had to subdue this earth. So we had quite a few years to be able to do it uh, by people. Now, um, very, very interesting. If you look on this piece of paper, start looking at how long people lived. And you're going to see that Adam was alive all the way through Lamech, Lamech, or however you say his name. Noah, he was dead for, but he lived all the way through. Now look at Noah. Noah lived to see Abraham birthed. Look at how these lives intertwined. I want you to see that oral tradition, oral things passed down from generation to generation were easily done because most of them got to meet Adam. Adam got to speak the man who was created literally by God and had the breath of life breathed into him directly by God was able to pass down. What do you think of that? Is this blowing your brain or what? It was blowing mine. Um, so oral tradition is very easy because you know everybody. There's not a whole lot of reason to write things because we know each other. Nowadays, we only get a very small window of time. So whatever we know or whatever we discover, we are so compelled to write it because then that will live beyond us to go to other generations. But during this time, there was not a large emphasis on writing. But I will tell you in, in just a minute a little bit that uh, might speak contrary to that. We'll find out. I also want you to see that as we read, you're going to have two lineages. So everybody look at me now. Two lineages are going to come out Adam. First, he had Cain and Abel. And Cain killed Abel. So we have Cain still. Cain did not repent. So God could not follow through his lineage for the Messiah. So he started a new lineage. And we're going to learn that that man's name was Seth. That son's name was Seth. Now, Cain was cursed and told that he was going to wander and never have a home. And the ground was never going to produce for him because of his sin. 
Seth's name means to set and to put in place. Very, two very different lineages. One is a wandering, restless spirit. One is a spirit that's set in place, in a place for a purpose. Okay? So two lineages. The lineage that's on your paper is Seth's lineage. Okay? But first, before we go there, let me talk to you about Cain's lineage. Because it's very, very important to what was going on in the world during this time. Okay? So are you ready? Open up to chapter 4. And we're going to get this show on the road. Oh, before we do, I have a few more little nuggets for you. I want you to see from Adam to Noah, there is 10 generations. From Noah to Abram, there are 10 generations. And you will find that from Abram... Anyway, 10 generations. So 10 generations, there's a cycle of when a new covenant is made. All right? Noah lived long enough to see Abram's birth. Abram was 58 when Noah died. Now, it's very, very, very believed, very strongly believed that the Garden of Eden and those, remember those fiery cherubim and the, the sword that was flashing back and forth that he put to guard the Garden of Eden? It's very much believed by many, many writers that that Garden of Eden remained there for this thousand-year period or a little bit longer. So all of those people saw it. They saw the cherubim, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God. They saw his fire, and they saw his reality. And remember we said last week that a lot of the uh, ancient writers and the um, commentary people, they believe that they would bring their sacrifice and worship right there in front of the cherubim. Very interesting. So the thought is that it was the flood that removed the Garden of Eden. Very interesting. Okay? Am I, are you learning anything? Okay. Now, I have to let you know, too, that, okay, we have the biblical account right now. We're reading it, Right? But there are other writings that I am going to share with you about that talk about this time frame. Now, this time frame is very, very difficult because remember, the the flood came through and absolutely destroyed everything. So there's not much hard copy of any, well, there isn't any hard copy of anything written pre-flood. But right after the flood... The first real civilization that sprung up, they're called the Sumerians, okay? And they're on your little sheet there, Sumerians, S-U-M-A-R-I-A-N-S. They were very, very, um, they're very old, and they had a written language, because now lifetimes are shortening, so they are inventing a written language, and they wrote it on hard clay tablets, and these tablets have survived, and we found quite a few. And did you know... On, it's called the Epic of Giglamesh, or something like that. It's written on your paper there. There is, a, there, there is the story of the flood. There is the story of the flood. There's also the story of creation. And there is a listing. It's called the King's List. And it's the list of the kings prior to the flood. And there are ten of them. There are ten pre-flood patriarchs, they call them. Yes. Now, when you read the Sumerian tablets, they had a different counting system, okay? They had a different counting system. So when you read it, they're going to tell you that um, this king lived 30,000 years. So we already know something's off. 
But like I said, they had a different counting system. You know how we have a base of 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 10, 11, 12, you know, we start all over. Theirs had a different counting base that they would go up to three, I think it was, and then start counting again. So it totally makes sense. When you do the math and you bring it into our terms, same numbers. They also show that after the flood, after this flood, their lives decrease just like the biblical thing. So very cool. Very, very cool. So we're finding a lot of these kinds of things are absolutely going right alongside this. Okay, now there's other writings that I'm going to refer to in just a minute. Okay, I'm trying to hurry. I'm so sorry. But this is all stuff to set the stage. There's other writings. There's um, most ancient, uh, okay, so I already did that. Um, most ancient civilizations speak of the flood. Um, there are right now known over 300 people groups all over the world that have a flood story. Europe, in Europe alone, the Greeks, the Romans, the Scandinavians, the Germans, the Lithuanians, and more have a flood story in their history. Asia, in Siberia, Mongolia, and the Hindus have a flood story. The Sumerians in Egypt and Assyria and the Islamic uh, religion has a flood story. In Africa, Cameroon, Tanzania, Congo, Kenya, to just name a few, have flood stories. I can go on Asia, the Pacific, New Guinea, Fiji, Samoa, Tahiti, the Hawaiians, North America, Central America, South America, tribes all over the place. They have a story of the flood. This was of epic proportion that was passed down, oral tradition. Now, some of these stories are very wild and very outlandish. And the boat that is described is not seaworthy at all. But they have a story of a man and his family and the animals surviving a disaster of epic proportions. Pretty cool, huh? Did you know that? You already knew that? Come on. No. Not, not nothing. But the Bible story, the one that you have in your Bible, is considered by many, many people, whether they're heathen, you know, non-believers or whatever, that this story holds water. Ha ha. Because it, it's, it, can, this, it could be done. And that's one of the reasons why the Bible is considered to have great authority is that there is no mythological weirdness in it that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. It's very, very uh, truthful and honoring. Okay. So let's go ahead and get started. Verse 17. Do we have the things up here? Chapter 4, verse 17. So if you don't have your Bible, but if you do, I want you to go along and I want you to circle the names of the people that we're going to kind of talk about here, okay? Um, Cain. You're going to find that as I read along that there are seven generations from Cain until um, that are, are listed here, okay? There are ten generations on the side of Seth. So if you've got your card, let's go ahead and blow through these, okay? Cain lay with his wife. Now remember, Cain's been cast out and he's now a wanderer. At this point, we only know of Cain and Abel, and Abel's gone. So the thought is, is at this point, Adam and Eve have had other children. And at this point, Cain is older when he killed Abel. 
Okay? So the thought is, actually, that he, his wife was a sister. It had to be at this point. Wife is sister. And it's okay because DNA is pure at this point. Now when we mess around like that, it makes all sorts of trouble because our DNA is so messed up. But anyway, so everybody's like, how did he get a wife? Well, that's how. That's how. Okay, so Cain lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Circle Enoch. Cain was then building a city. Now, the whole point here is that he was building. It never says he finished. Remember, he is a restless wanderer. But he had a family now that he had to provide for, so he started to build a city. He began to build. But the Bible, the words there show that it, be, it got began, but it never got finished. Okay? And he named it after Enoch. Why didn't he name it after himself? Because he's cursed. Yeah. So he named it after Enoch, um, his son. To Enoch was born Irad. So circle Irad. Irad was the father of Mahujael. And Mahujael was the father of Methusiel. <laughs> and Methusiel was the father of Lamech. So bam, two verses and we, we blew through six people. How's that? Okay, now here's the deal. All of those people, Enoch, Irad, Methusiel, and Methusiel, are, there's no mention of these people other than this Bible right here, what you just read. There's no mention of them in the heathen writings. When I say heathen, it's anybody but um, the Jewish biblical writers. Um, there's no, um, no words of them for, from the Arabic writers, from any of the other writers that we find so much information coming out of. Okay, none. But when they start at Lamech, the, the writers outside of the Bible start talking. And they speak of Lamech, this whole era, as being an era and a time frame of shameless sin. So I want you to put a big kind of bracket around these people, and I want you to write shameless sin. Shameless sin. It's also known that they live in the low country. They don't live up in the mountains. These people lived in the low country, on the plains, on the flat ground, down low, shameless and sinful. They followed after Cain's heart. Cain was hardened and refused to ever repent. And out of that issued a a lineage of sin that became epic. We find Lamech speaking up here. Lamech married two women. This is the first mention of polygamy. Lamech was the first one to begin to marry more than one woman. Was that the godly uh, biblical perspective that God had laid out? Absolutely not. He brought in polygamy. Started a whole big mess. The two wives, let's see. He married two women. One named Adah, that name means ornamented and adorned, Adah, and the other Zillah. Zillah means tinkling, and it also means in the shadows. Now, Adah had a son named Jabal, J-A-B-A-L, and he is the father of all those who live in tents and raise livestock. 
So at this point, he is the inventor and the beginning and the progenitor of those that now are building tents. Now they're able to actually move with their, their herds and their herds are growing. And he begins to raise livestock. So now it's not just sheep and, and goats. Now it's cattle. Now he's beginning to breed and have large herds. And he is one, as the, the ancient writers say, begin to am- amass wealth, money, dollar signs. Put dollar signs next to J. Bao. J-Ball, J-A-B-A-L, finance, wealth. And his brother's name is Jubal. He is the father of all who play the harp and the flute. So he is a musician. He now begins to introduce music into the thing. So the flute is anything blown on. So it's a wind instrument. The harp would be anything that um, has strings. So we have the stringed and the wind instruments. And he invented this. He began that. Now the thought is what he what he was raising up here is a lifestyle now of um, pleasure, musical leisure. The Arab writers actually call musicians Cana. They came from the lineage of Cain, Cana. Yeah, Cana, just Cana. That's their, the word for musician, Cana, com, coming from Cain. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want to explain to you that as oral tradition came through and everything was happening in the world during this antediluvial area, then the flood, who came through the flood? And his wife. And his three sons and their three wives. So we've got six or eight people who remember everything. And I can't wait to show you the, the dispersion of those three. This could be really, really fun. But stories, they remembered them. So then they started having babies and they started telling their babies. And depending how their spiritual side bent was, they began to, you know, like trump up the stories. And trump up the stories. Now let me tell you something. Greek and Roman mythology line up very strongly with these people. Yes. So if you've ever wondered, where did all that come from? Where did all that mysterious strangeness, anti-God religion, where did it come from? These people. So let me explain to you why they say that. The Roman god Pallas is the god of the shepherds who is um, shown by cattle. And they lead cattle into the flame and they have to do all this. So Jabal, J-A-B-A-L, the one who began herding livestock is now the prototype for this god, this Greek and Roman god. Jubal, have you ever seen a picture of Apollo? What does he have in his hand? A harp. Here, this is where it came from. Now it says here, isn't that interesting? Am I breathing life into genealogy now? Okay, give me a thumbs up, right? I'm trying really hard. Hallelujah. Okay, where am I at? Verse 22, Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all sorts of tools out of bronze and iron. Uh, so let's leave it at there. Tubal Cain. Let's figure out about this guy, the forger of bronze and iron. He was the first one to forge war instruments, spears, knives, anything to do with war. Now, there's a Roman god named Vulcan. And if you break down how those letters go, it is Tubal Cain. 
Vulcan, 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 to Vulcan. And he is the god of war and all of those who smith iron. Right here. See, it all makes sense. The line of Cain. Epic proportions of sin, twisted, misunderstood God from a man who hated God from the very beginning and wouldn't repent even though God stood there and begged and pleaded him. He starts having children. And he starts teaching his children about what he believes about God and God is incredibly misunderstood. And lineages come through and entire nations are led astray by this misunderstanding of who God is. Come on, tell me about it. Nema or Nama, or whatever her name is. Uh, Tubal Cain's sister, had, uh, sister was Nama, the only woman listed in these linea- uh, genealogies, these lineages. Her name is most beautiful, very, very beautiful. Now, in the Roman gods, Vulcan, or Vulcan had a sister. Does anybody remember what her sis- his sister's name is? Venus. And Venus is the god of beauty. Wantonness based on beauty and not piety. Interesting, huh? Wantonness based on beauty and not piety. So through this lineage now, we're seeing financial increase. We're seeing incredible money being amassed. We're seeing pleasure coming forth through music. What is the instrument of Satan in the world so many times? Is music satanic? But what does he like to use? Yes. What do we like to use? That's right. War and beauty, but absolutely no godliness is found in this lineage. Okay, we're done with that one. Ready to move on? Okay. So let me finish reading this. Lamech said to his wives, Adah, Zillah, listen to me. The wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged 70 times, then Lamech is avenged 77 times. Now I could preach an entire sermon on that, and I'm not going to because I've got to stick with my incredible genealogies. Adam laid with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth. What does Seth, Seth mean? Set. No more wandering. Whole new lineage. Whole new lineage. She says, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, that last sentence there, men began to call on the name of the Lord, is a very, very um, uh, disputed sentence. It could mean men began to call on the name of the Lord and began to congregate and begin to form what we would call assemblies or churches. Could be. That's kind of what that means. But there's another, a couple other meanings. One of them is they began to call themselves the name of the Lord. So this is where the sons of God began to be said. They began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. Okay? So it's a little, if you read some of the different translations, some of them will say, and they began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. Sons of God. Got it? 
Now, there's a third possible translation, and it's a very it twists everything. And, and so we'll, I'll show you what I think it is and what a lot of the commentaries really say it is. But the other one says they began to profane the name of the Lord. So a lot of the commentaries think that at this point they were referring to Cain's lineage and profaned the name of the Lord. Other commentaries say it, it's Seth's lineage and they began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. Could have been both. I don't know. But I probably settle, and you guys can pick. I'm not going to tell you what to think. They began to call themselves by the name of the Lord because from this point on, we start hearing about the sons of God. And we didn't hear it before. Sons of God. Guess what you are? Amen. I don't know. So we'll go with that one, okay?